we were in Mexico together, had an amazing time, right, Addison? Wasn't it good? Right? Who, who else went with us? I can't, I'm trying to see out there. Yeah, you were there, you were there. Hudson, you think you were in Mexico? That's a little weird, bro, because you weren't. But anyway, <laughs> love ya. <laughs> Hudson Moss thinks he was in Mexico with us last week. So, uh, I don't know, I said this to Rachel when she sat back down. She said, uh, I said to her, can you tell I'm in, this is what Andrea calls it, I can tell you're in a mood. <laughs> Uh, can you tell we love each other here on staff? I mean, I hope you can. Can you tell that we actually really do enjoy opportunities to connect? Because we really do. Uh, we really want to have conversations about Jesus and conversations about faith and continue the faith conversation. We use that phrase a lot, and we mean it. Um, had some very powerful conversations after first service um, in light of just our text today. Uh, and so I pray that um, your heart and mine would be open um, and that the Lord would do a work, not just with the words that I say, but with everything that this service is designed to do, um, always under the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, may you find peace and comfort. Uh, may you find conviction. Um, and uh, I, I guess even the awareness that you are in a space that deeply desires to honor God and to walk with you in the faith journey where you currently are, and then hopefully leading you to where, um, where the spirit of God for the purposes of God is actually leading. That's, that's why we're here. Um, and we just believe doing it together actually matters. So um, pray that uh, this, this time this morning really is a blessing. We are in John 18. I told Addie, um, you know, next time when we have a little more than just a few verses, we need to have you read. You read so well. Uh, we, we intentionally selected these verses when we looked at it uh, dividing up John's gospel, as you know, we, we, we've dealt with some big sections, and then all of a sudden we just have this small one. Why? And that's because I think a lot of, is happening here. Uh, I don't think this is just a, a quick addendum that John is adding on. I don't think this is an aside that John just thinks, well, I should cover this. Um, John is drawing attention to this, this, this selection process, I think for a number of different reasons. And I don't know if my message this morning lines up exactly with what John is trying to do, but I do believe that it lines up with Scripture. And that is this amazing idea that you and I live in life that are full of choices that we are going to make, decisions that we are compelled to make. And then dealing with the fact that we're not always going to make the right decision. In fact, we will make a lot of wrong decisions. I don't know if you know who Charles Warner is. You would know his friend, Mark Twain. But I, I didn't know much about him, Charles Warner. Um, he was an essayist back during the time of, uh, of Mark Twain. And as you know, what, what these gentlemen love to do is to just observe life and to make commentary. And it's, it's uh, down homesy. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's obvious. Mark Twain was Jerry Seinfeld before there was a Jerry Seinfeld, you know? making these painfully obvious comments that had some kind of comedic purpose. Um, and here is what, here's what uh, Charles Warner actually says when he looks back at life and he describes with, with clarity and insight about the, the, the lives that we live and the choices that we make and then the difficulty of dealing with those choices that we've already made. He says this, regrets are idle. Yet history is one long regret. I think I've heard that statement before. History 
is one long regret. Everything might have turned out so differently. Or, I, I think like this. Everything would have turned out so differently if I had only, and, and not just to erase the mistakes that I made, but I spend a lot of time. Is there anybody else that does this? Yeah. And I don't, I don't become um, paralyzed by it. I, I think it's actually kind of fun to think about. If I had only, how would, it, how would my life be different? How would my circumstances be different if, if I had only? Yeah, he says, history is one long regret. Now, I don't know if he said that because he was really struggling with something in his life. Uh, he's just absolutely overwhelmed. He's kind of living under the cascade of years of bad choices. And he's depressed. <laughs> Probably drinking, if you know Mark Twain. And he's just writing, history is one long regret. I'm going to bed, you know? Like, I don't know if that's, if that's what he's doing. There's some insight to that, though. And so what I would like us to do is to, is to realize um, that any good and powerful statement, insightful statement that's made, has a truth to it that we can, we can probably find in Scripture. And, and maybe not exactly like that, but I, I believe this is a theme that we actually see in Scripture, that history is one long regret, but just don't, don't, don't go to bed. Like, don't end the statement there. But I think it's good for us to deal with that. That maybe, that maybe your life, again, in a particular moment, you could just say, man, it's literally been just one long regret. Maybe because of a traumatic decision that you made that you're still trying to dig yourself out of. Or a series of mistakes that every time you think you're making some kind of progress, you're not. Life is just one long regret. I think that this, this observation and this truth that you and I experience together can then lead to a degree of not just anxiety, but paralysis. Um, being afraid that somehow we're gonna make the wrong choice, so we're afraid to choose at all. Right? I know people that get stuck. I'm just really, really afraid that I'm gonna make the wrong choice. And, and you can say to them, you do know that if you don't make a choice, that's still making a choice. Thank you, Mark Twain. I appreciate that. That's, that's, that doesn't really get me over the hurdle. And, and it seems, again, this is the only life that I've ever lived, so I don't know how to compare it to other times. But it seems like it's becoming increasingly difficult for people to make choices. Anxiety is setting in. And, and maybe in part, because relatively speaking, we're asking people to consider things and it's above their ability to process. Um, are you okay? Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life and I just feel like I've just gotta figure this out. Hmm. You're 12. No, I know, but I just, I don't know. My friend thinks, my friend knows they're gonna be a doctor and my other friend knows he's gonna be an astronaut and my other friend thinks he's gonna be a dragon. And, um, and I just, I really feel like I don't have it all figured out. Oh, I, I know, I know, it'll be okay. Because you're 12. Well, but I know, but I gotta be planned, I gotta be organized, and I'm trying to do this, and I'm thinking about what I'm gonna do and where I'm gonna go to college and what I'm gonna do with on my ACT, and you just, <laughs> did you think you were in Mexico last week, right? <laughs> like, relax. 
You're 12. Now hear me, you, you, know what, you know what is funny about all of this? It's so bizarre and yet it is like true. Well, I just don't wanna make the wrong decision. Well, let me help you with that. You will. And if not this one, another one. Like if you are not going to choose because you're afraid that you're going to make a wrong decision about whatever it might be, I'm not telling you to be rash. I'm not telling you that your choices don't matter. No, they do. They do. And, and they will. They will help us. The mistakes that we make will help us if we respond to them appropriately. They will help us. They will, they will help us learn. They will teach us wisdom. That's what they're intended to do under the sovereignty of God in the broken world that he is still sovereign over. And so let's, let's not become paralyzed. Let's not become stuck. Let's not become fearful. Let's not become unnecessarily anxious. Let's look at what is happening. Let us remember who is over it all and then move forward. That's the biblical response. And, and then we'll make the right decision? Nope. You will make another wrong choice. And sometimes it's really desperate. He, he wasn't young and he wasn't old, but he was scared. And maybe because this addiction was not just any addiction, it was a serious addiction. And then it got exposed. His wife already knew about it, but he had promised that that was in his past, but now it became a real part of their present. And he swore he would never do it again. And I'm sitting there trying to believe him. Now what I don't doubt, I don't doubt is that he meant it. But what I did doubt was his ability to follow through. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying, and I don't know what that's like. Truly. I've kind of lost track of them. But I would guess there were a number of failures. I know of a number of failures, and I'm sure that there's still some kind of a struggle that's going on. I just remember in that moment, looking at her and him, like this is going to be a part of your lives. And I, I think you need to prepare for a number of I promise I'll never do it again moments. I just think you're gonna need to be prepared for that. You could see it in her eyes. Like I don't think I can do that. This isn't what I signed up for. Hmm. Actually, let me go back and check your vows. <laughs> it is what you signed up for. Like that's the story of the Bible. Another wrong choice, if anything, what the Bible seems to teach us is this, is that we, individually and collectively, corporately, individually by ourselves and together as a group, we are unable to make the right choice. And so I think it's time that we own it. 
And, and when we own it, that we don't just go, so it doesn't matter. No, it matters. But we don't become paralyzed by it. We, we literally, this is life, is about looking at your life in the context that there is a God and that he is intimately, not distantly, but intimately involved with, with life and with our decisions. You guys do remember the text, right? That, that, I know it was short, but you remember it. So you, you know what I'm talking about. How do you choose Barabbas? Seriously? Jesus, son of God, raises the dead, heals the sick, offers hope, cares for people, created the world. I mean, you may not believe some of those things. Or Barabbas. I love the last line of our text. He was a revolutionary. Yeah, the word there, it doesn't just mean he had big ideas. It means he was kind of like a thieving, murderous scoundrel. So that's one of your choices. Or Jesus. Remember? Away in a manger. <laughs> How many of you just go, are you kidding me? Like, this is a no-brainer. Have you ever had voters regret? Oh, you're American, you have. So, <laughs> voters regret. Jesus or Barabbas? Well, we, we come from a long line of Barabbas selectors. Can I just do a quick run through the Bible? I promise, relatively quick. She listened to a talking snake. You knew I'd begin here. There's a talking snake. Did God really say, hey, what about, and she has to choose between what the Lord told them and what the snake is now offering. And, and she, snake. I'm going to choose not what God has spoken and I get it, maybe she didn't know, maybe he told Adam and Adam only told her or didn't. I mean, I know that there are lots of different questions that you can have. The text isn't really as interested in much in our questions as it is trying to just make a statement. But she chose. Yeah, talking snake. I'm gonna choose that over God. You'd think the fact that it was a snake would somehow reveal it. You'd think that somehow the fact that it was a revolutionary, that they could have seen, yeah, we probably shouldn't let this one go. Maybe Jesus? Couldn't see it. Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. That's Genesis 3. Genesis 13. This one you may not have known I was gonna choose. But Abram has been sent by God from the land that he lived in with his family to a new land. And they go to a new land. And by the way, when they go to that new land, there's a famine and they have to go all the way down to Egypt. You can kind of see where the story's going. They go down to Egypt and then they come back. But it's really interesting that when they decide to settle down, Abram looks at his, uh, all of his flocks and all of his herds and all of, his, all of the people that he has in his life and then Lot, his nephew, who he brought with him, looks at all of what, and Abram says, Trusting God, the word that God had spoken to him. Trusting God's plan and God's purpose. Abram said what you never say when there's two pieces of pizza left. Which one do you want first? Right? That's what he says to Lot. 
Lot, you pick first. And Lot does. He looks at it and he weighs it. And, and he picks the one that looked better. Now here's what's funny. You and I know the rest of the story. So the whole picking Barabbas seems bizarre. The, the eating of the fruit makes no sense. Lot goes, I want Sodom as my first pick and Gomorrah as my second. He chooses the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, even those words just kind of mean, why would you pick this? But no, that's where, that's where, that's where, that's where they're settling. That's where there's cities. That's where there is like productive places. Like Lot picks to the eye the better choice. Human perspective, this one makes the most sense. Abram, by faith. Lot, you pick what you want. I will trust God with what he leaves for me. You know how hard it is to pick the choice that's I will trust God with this? I honestly think that's kind of why you and I rush to make additional poor choices to try to fix the poor choice that we made. Genesis 13 choose Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are individuals making poor choices. But don't worry. There's going to be a large group of people, as God promised, that's going to continue this history of picking badly. Numbers 13, it's now the people of God that have been freed from Egypt and they're going up into the Holy Land and, and to the Promised Land, to the Holy Land, the Promised Land. And as they go up, they send up some spies uh, 10 of them named Barabbas, two of them named Jesus, and they send up the spy. By the way, that's not true. That's kind of a metaphorical way of describing something. But anyway, uh, they, they send them up, and they go in, and they, they survey the land, and they just, the way they see it is, is kind of the way that Lot saw the land. They saw it through like a human perspective, and they were terrified and so God said, I'm gonna take you to this land. God said, I'm going to be with you. God has already destroyed the Egyptians. And in the moment, as they are analyzing their options, they choose to not go into the land. Like they're thinking it's better for us to go back to Egypt or it's better for us to die in the land. This is their thinking. This is how we think collectively. So if you don't think you're gonna get like tricked by a snake or deceived by some beautiful property, I promise, collectively, we will all say, Barabbas. And they're terrified. And God says, then you won't go into the land. I will walk you in circles for a generation and I will take in your children. And that's exactly what happens. Like, unbelievable. How, why? And the answer is, a complete inability to make a, a, the right choice. Fast forward it again. What do we actually find? We actually find um, that that same group of people are now getting a second chance to go into the promised land and Moses decides, okay, last time you weren't paying attention, listen up parents, last time you weren't paying attention and so I'm going to tell you again. And he reads to them the law. Choose life, choose to obey this law. And here's what they all say. Forgetting about their parents, they literally say, we will do this. To which Moses, the constant encourager, loves to say, no, you won't. You know what it's like 
Andrew and I practiced this for years. For some reason beyond our IQs, we decided to let our children have driver's licenses because we thought to ourselves, they're 16. How could they make a poor choice? And the answer is, give them a driver's license. (laughs) It allows their ability to make poor choices to extend much further into the neighborhood. And, And so most of our, by the way, many of you are gonna be laughing because it's like you think you've been to my house, but no, it happened in your house too. But literally, as the boys were leaving, we would say something to the effect of, on a real spiritual moment, we would say, now remember that your body was bought with a price and that it is not your own and that you should go out and be a witness and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of. In a spiritual moment, that was what we were telling them when they were leaving the house. But if we wanted to just kind of abbreviate it, we would say, be good. To which my children always said, I will or we will I didn't believe them. Now, I didn't know anything, I I swear to you, I never knew anything specific that I ever would have allowed. And I think the majority, from what I hear, and I've I've been told them, stop telling me things, but from what I I know, I would recommend that as parents, we just kinda go, okay, I get it, thank you, I I have a rough understanding of what you were doing. So, um, I I literally, I believe that what they are telling me is well-intended and is mostly true. But I guarantee you, you know this, there were times where it was like, we will, but if they were to keep on talking, make a series of consecutively bad choices that we're kind of already intending to do, and hopefully you won't catch us. But there's no other way to live. There's no other way to live. Son, you're gonna have to figure this out by yourself. Like your mom and I have made our commitments and our choices, and we're still struggling with making right choices, and now you're going to have to figure out who you're going to serve. Choose this day, son, whom you're going to serve. So Moses said that in Deuteronomy 31. Joshua 24 is the next one. So they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Or sorry, they're already in the promised land, and they've, they've kind of done a good job of, of, of cleaning it up, and Joshua's about to die, and Joshua 24 is very similar to Deuteronomy 31. And Joshua gives the famous statement, choose this day whom you will serve. If it is Yahweh, choose Yahweh. My family, we're gonna choose Yahweh. But if it's Baal, choose Baal. And they all said, we choose Yahweh. And Joshua said, you're hilarious. (laughs) No, you won't. Like this is the theme of the Bible. It's It's not just two naked people in a garden. Like, it is consistent. The the last one I want to share with you, and you can see a list of these, the the last one I want to share with you is in 1 Samuel 8. So Genesis 3, Genesis 13, Numbers 13, Deuteronomy 31, Joshua 24. These are good chapters to look at. Um, 1 Samuel 8. Samuel is the, the priest, and the people come to him and they say, Uh, We want a king. We want a king. Make for us a king so that we can be like the other nations. And Samuel takes it personally. And then God comes in and interjects and says, I just want you to know, you're not the one that lost the election. It wasn't your name on the ballot. It wasn't Saul or Samuel. 
it was Saul or Yahweh. Like that choosing Barabbas thing is not new. It's old. Maybe as old as the world itself. And so they look at, they look at it and they've got two boxes, Saul, not, not the good one in the New Testament, Saul, although he'd be a train wreck too, Saul or Yahweh. And they tally them up and it's Saul by a landslide. Now what's fascinating is, I've often wondered, did Samuel literally say, oh, I'm so glad they're not rejecting me. <laughs> like they rejected God. They rejected God. Now, if you're thinking, yeah, but if they had just maybe, maybe if there was a better option then. This is the thing I find so hilarious about people who believe that the world's problems can be fixed by just us collectively trying harder or us collectively making a choice. Hear me, I'm not become, I I really am trying to not become overly cynical. I just want to, this book forces me to be very honest about the brokenness of the world and where a true redemptive solution comes from. That is why I will never be overly excited about who is in the white house or the green house or the blue house, whatever color your house is. No matter what country you, 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 you are running, I will not become overly excited nor overly depressed for I know who is on the throne. Even when the wrong choice by my, in my mind, eternal wisdom, it's not, even, even beyond my comprehension, beyond my ability to calculate, I'm not just a cynic. I hope I'm not just a cynic. I just know where this is going to end. And that's why I don't get too upset about Barabbas. Because I see that there is actually something else that is actually happening. There is like in all of these stories, the, 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 the bigger theme, and this, I need you to hear this, the bigger theme of the Bible is not that we are unable to make a right choice, that we are going to make wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice. That is true. That is not the theme of the Bible. We already sang the theme of the Bible. His mercy is more. His greatness is more. His glory is more. His plan is greater. His awareness holds it all together. I don't know if the choices that you've made in your life have just completely messed it up. I know you may think that at this moment. And I'm not trying to say they're small or that they're light or that you shouldn't even be concerned or upset. No, all of those are probably most likely natural or human responses that you're either taking too lightly or you're making too much of. I just want us as a people to recognize that God is over and through all of these things. I think that's why John just gives Barabbas a few verses. It's almost like all of this just hangs in the balance. Oh, what are we gonna do? What if we get it wrong? What if we choose Barabbas? Well, if we choose Barabbas, then Jesus is gonna die. If Jesus dies, what's going to happen? Everything that God planned. Oh, so it doesn't matter. I promise, I've already had numerous conversations. So you're saying it doesn't matter what we choose? (laughs) No. 
I'm saying it's not all that matters. Do you see that? It's not that it doesn't matter, it's just not all that matters. And there is something that is greater, and if you don't have it, you will either become frustrated, angry, depressed, or disconnected from your life, from your relationships, from the world. But what the Christian response is, is that it's not about me, that God has a plan and a purpose that is, by its nature, redemptive and restorative. That the story of the Bible is not just creation fall, but it is redemption restoration. That God is not surprised or unaware about what is paralyzing you, about a choice that you need to make and you're stuck, so I'm not gonna make it, or a choice that you made that makes you feel stuck and so I don't wanna go anywhere, just wanna sit here, be mad. But literally, us believing that what God has done, is doing, and will do is the redemption and the restoration of all of our choices, good, bad, or indifferent, individually and collectively. And that's the hope of Easter. Is that this election isn't the last one. There was an election that actually happened far before this, if you don't mind me using the term. It was God choosing us. It was God electing us. Ephesians chapter one, verses four through six. The apostle Paul says this, for he, that is God, chose us in him, that is Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Now hear me. You, you and I can spend a lot of time in these short little verses in, in Ephesians 1, and it just kind of keeps your mind spinning. I, 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 don't have, I don't have the time uh, this morning, nor the ability in my lifetime, to explain or fully understand or comprehend this. But God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, meaning God's always had this which will bring up other questions, but the one question it always answers is that God is aware and involved and actively engaged and therefore there is no need for us to become overly frustrated, angry, disconnected, or depressed. Or joyful when we think we're figuring it out. We find our joy in leaning on him. We find our joy in the redemptive, restorative work of him in us and through us. That is what we celebrate. How did he choose us? To be holy and blameless. He did this in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. He predestined us. He elected us. He predestined us. And, and, and by the way, again, it's, it's beyond the time that we have this morning and my ability, and I would argue humanity's ability to fully understand or appreciate this. I will say this though. There are two ways that we can understand this. One is, and it really fits with the theme of this text, one of the ways in which we could understand this is that God predestines us or elects us individually. 
that God knows every single one of us. Mark, he knows, he, knows, uh, he, knows, he knows all of us. Denise, he knows us. And that God elects some of us. Right now you're just going, say my name, say my name, right? Well, sorry, some of you, not so good. But anyway, you have this, God is, God is electing, or God is predestining, or God is selecting, and it's an individual thing. That's one of the ways that you can look at this text. Another way to understand it is that God doesn't predestine the man, God predestines the plan. And so it tries to look at this text more corporately, that God has a, a plan, that God literally has a way, and that those who find the way, they're the ones who have, have, uh, have peace with God. And so in the end, what this text is talking about is that not God predestined a person, but that God predestined a plan or a way, to which I would say, huh, I, I do believe that God knows all things. And I do believe that God has made a way. So I have no idea how those two things fit together, and I, I think it is even inappropriate, as we can tell, the choices of an individual deeply affect those around them, and the choice of the collective deeply affect the individual, do they not? So we might want to try to surgically remove those two things. I think God sits in heaven and laughs. I guarantee you, my... My, my responsibility this morning is not to explain how God did this, but that he did it. God predestined us, don't know exactly how, through Jesus Christ. You pick Barabbas, God will still make us into a new people through Jesus, the one that lost, so that we could win. And God did this according to his good pleasure the good pleasure of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one, in Jesus. It was God's pleasure to look at our mistakes and to look at our failures and to deal with our mistakes and to deal with our failures through Jesus Christ so that the goodness of God might be known that God, although knowing we were broken, God knowing we had no ability to make the right choices or at least enough of them to fix the world, God said, it's not yours to fix, it's mine, and I have this. Well, I promise to do better. You're so cute. That's what Paul is saying. I think that's why I've thought a lot about this. Paul doesn't seem to have a lot of regret about his life. Now, if he lived today, he'd be in counseling, like, like forever. You know what I did? Do you know what I did? And no matter how much anyone tries to help him, friends, family, professionals, you know, after all that Paul did and after all that Paul learned, like, why doesn't he seem to be a train wreck over this? And I think it's because he knew that, that God had it. How do you live with yourself after you knew that you selected Barabbas? How do you live yourself after all of the choices that you've made? How do you do that? God's got this. That's how. God's got this. So God chose us God's the one that's gonna make it right. Look at verses seven and eight. In him, that's Jesus, right? We have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, 
that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and all understanding. God knowing it all so that we could know just how great he was. Eve, I got this. Lot, I got this. Children of Israel, wandering aimlessly, I got you. Walking into the Holy Land, I still have you. Failure after failure, but I will not fail you. You want a king? Fine, I'll give you one. And you will be deeply disappointed by them, but then there will be a king that will come who will make it all right. Who's that king? You see? See how beautiful the Bible is in terms of how it fits together? We don't choose God. We, we took Saul. We took Barabbas. And God in his kindness says, but I'm gonna give you me anyway. God is the one who makes it right. So it's not that our choices don't matter. They're just not all that matters. That's him. And that is how we know that Jesus, with all that he is and not all that he does, is able to make it right. I really don't think that the purpose of the Barabbas story is just for us to feel some kind of, uh, some weight. And I, I know, I've already had like, I think three or four people ask me, what do you think would have happened if they would have picked Jesus instead of Barabbas? I have no idea. I could chase that rabbit with you over coffee sometime. And by the way, Rachel says she'll have coffee with you and explain predestination, election, and all those things too, so you could meet with her either. She could probably do a better job than me, to be honest with you, but right, that's not, again, like those are interesting thoughts. They are. But here, we're here to celebrate that he loved us so much he sent his son. And God says, I'm gonna make it right. I think that's why it's good for us on a weekly basis to take the bread that represents his body. Jesus, how are you going to make it right? And I think Jesus says this, not by your efforts, not by your well-intended I'm sorry's. I think Jesus says to us sometimes, shush, just eat. What? Me. And so we take the bread, which represents his body that was given for us, and we eat. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I shush. Just drink. That's what forgiveness tastes like. It's real. As real as what is right now lingering in your mouth as a reminder of what is real. And so now what we are going to do is not stand up and sing a bunch of songs. We promise to try better every day. We promise to try better. We're gonna be singing about his goodness and his greatness for that is what will lead us home. So let's stand and sing about the goodness and the greatness of God to us in Christ.